Welcome to Redemption Hill podcast. For more information about Redemption Hill, go to redemptionshill.com. It's good to be with you. If you've been with us, you know we're in this vision series over the church. We've been there for a couple weeks. We'll be there for a little bit more talking about our vision, our goal, what we want to be, why we even exist. And we find it really fitting to do this leading up to our 10-year anniversary so that we can remind us of what we're aiming for. If you've been with us for a long time, uh, we want to remind my heart and your heart of what we're actually doing here because after time goes by, we can kind of forget what we're doing. And then if you are newer to us, we want to just clarify. If you're going, I wonder what those people are about. We want to tell you what we are about, and we want to invite you to come with us as we try and walk that out. So we're hoping that this series is really not a pat on the back of who we think we are, but it's a catalyst to walk into the fullness of what God has called us to be. So as we progress through that, one of the things that I hope that you're hearing just two weeks in is that our, our vision is not based on an ideology or a philosophy or even more so, our vision is not based off of a business strategy, right? And that's a good spot to have an amen for your heart and for mine. But instead, our vision comes from our theology, which is our understanding of who God is. And our understanding of who God is does not come from our feelings or our wants, our interpretations of how we think uh, God actually exists in the world, but that is actually formed from the Bible. Our vision comes from our theology. Our theology comes from the, the word. And this is important because churches have started for ages for a myriad of, of kind of interesting to super weird reasons. Uh, some churches start really to correct things that they don't like about other people to correct things that they don't like about other churches or past affiliations of faith that they've had. And they're like, this is my vision to be better than those other people or to fix what they did wrong. And some people start churches to align with a mindset that they want to champion. Okay, this become really important to me. And so I'm going to start a church that actually lines up into uh, most often what we see now is this uh, philanthropic, I can't say that word right, uh, kind of ideal right now. You see that happening all the time. And, and some people start churches just to kind of start moving forward a prototype of really a growth platform that they want. This is the best way to gather people and get the most people together. And those visions for church have a whole lot to do with men and women and their wants and their desires and and their beliefs. And they major on things like feelings and ingenuity and maybe even fads. Uh, While we no way want to posture into saying that we have the best vision, what we do want to do is stand firm that we're doing the best that we can uh, to walk out God's vision for the church presented in the Bible. Not our vision, not our thoughts, but... Uh, the the Lord's. We're not putting our hope into our great ideas or our efforts or anything like that, but we're putting our efforts into being obedient to Christ by honoring what he says his bride should be like. And that's a thing that I I just hope that our hearts would hear. God tells us how to worship. He tells us how to gather. He he tells us what to value. He he tells us what to to fight against. And and we want to listen to him in those things and and do what he says instead of really just following what we want. And you you still may ask, well, why don't we contextualize more? Why don't we we invent and why don't we modernize the system in order to, uh, you know, just kind of reach more people? That's the lingo right now. Why don't don't we contextualize more? And and the reason is Isaiah 40 verse 8. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. Right? We want to be formed by, informed by, and secured by the word of God because that secures us to what is eternally true instead of tethering us to 
an opinion that culture values at the present moment. That is really good news for your heart and mine because it protects us. Other people will call us outdated, old-fashioned, all of these other things. We call it orthodoxy. We will, we will latch our wagon to the word of God no matter what others say. So last week, we walked through the vision statement that we have for the church. If you haven't heard that before, um, here it is. We exist to glorify God through lives changed by the gospel. Glorify God, right? We even get that, the, the Lord's Prayer. Father, hallowed be your name. We want to be about that hallowing of the name of God through lives changed by the gospel. Since that is our mission, though, we have these three DNA elements that we want to embody, and they are the way that we will accomplish that mission. So how will we glorify God through lives changed by the gospel? Well, through our DNA, through gospel message, through gospel community, and through gospel mission. This is our plan. Last week, we did the hinge pin of it all, the gospel message. And this week, we want to dive into gospel community. An overarching idea that I want us to walk in is the gospel saved us, right? We looked at that last week. It is what saved us and we accepted to be saved. It's what we need here and right now and today. And it's what we're going to need tomorrow and in the future to continue walking in Christ. But the gospel message isn't just a continual need that we have. The gospel message affects us by pushing us into gospel community. You know, cause and effect, the cause of the gospel will affect you by pressing you into biblical community if you honor what the word asks from you. Let me restate that because this is really foundational. A life transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ will change as it then walks into community, the church, the body. And we're going to use some words interchangeably, community, church, family, all that means gospel community. The result of following Christ, therefore, is living amongst and walking amongst his body. We have to, at every edge or at every turn, this idea of a privatized, individualized, me and God and alone against the world faith, go, that's not in the Bible. The gospel brings us into family. We want to live this out, uh, and, and we want to do that because it's honoring God, and that's what he asks us to. The gospel invites you into a family. It saves you individually, but it then corporately brings you into the family. So let's step back and, and try and understand why gospel community isn't just our idea. You, you know, if you, if you know me, I'm a cynic. I'm always asking, like, prove it. Show me. So, so that's, that's our deal. Let's, let's show. Uh, why is gospel community actually something that Jesus wants for his body? Well, if we step all the way back and understand this, the gospel is not 66 disconnected rando books. And, and that's, that's a little bit weird to understand because when you look at, like, Song of Songs, Leviticus, and Revelation, you're like, these are the same? Same storyline, Right? Same storyline. There's one biblical narrative, one great story that is in all of the Bible. It's the story of God and his creation, his rescue of them and their redemption. So the Bible has this narrative arc, this this pattern that it follows. And everything deals with this one story that's woven through the entire text. The, the, The four main arcs are creation, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. Creation, fall, redemption, and reconciliation. This means everything in the Bible speaks into one of those arcs at least. One of them points to one of those arcs or broad categories. So we see in creation, in Genesis, that God existed in triune community. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit existed before the earth, and God created as a way to share his divine community with his creation. 
Creation was initially perfect without sin, without death, without shame, without brokenness, and God created everything in such a way that men and women were designed to uh, get their meaning and their joy and their fulfillment in relationship and connection to God the Father, the Creator. This means that there was a perfect community that existed before anything else. Then God made a perfect world to go with that community, and then he made humanity, invites them into both of those things uh, as a blessing to enjoy. What, what a gift this is. Perfect community, he makes a perfect creation, says, hey, will you come enjoy this with me? That's the good part at the beginning, but then we see things go super sideways really quick. In uh, Genesis 3, then we see the next ark, the fall. It's where brokenness comes from. Humanity's first representatives, Adam and Eve, decided that they'd rather get their meaning, their joy, their fulfillment, their happiness outside of God, outside of the design that they were created in by the creator. They believed the lie that they could be happier, better off on their own. So they sinned against God deliberately trying to forge a path without him. This is what happens at the tree in the garden. When you see the snake and and the apple and all this stuff, this is what they were doing. I would do better off without you. I'm going, to do, I'm going to do this on my own. The consequence of this decision that happened at the tree wasn't limited to just one single moment and a couple of people. That sin had consequences that goes all the way into this moment right now. That sin broke the relationship between God and all of humanity. And that sin brought with it death and brokenness and shame and much more. And Jesus had, or God had warned Adam and Eve in the beginning, if you eat of that tree, if you try and do this without me, it's going to lead to death. You're going to die. It's going to go badly. He makes this promise, and they end up doing what God told them not to, and exactly what God says happens, happens. Death and brokenness and shame come, come in. Creation and the creator were at this point divided because a holy, just God, a pure and sinless God cannot be one who is with or in community or connected to sinful humanity. What's the question that we get all the time? If your God's so loving, why didn't he just forget? Why didn't he just forgive? Well, sin and violations and hurt, they don't just go away. That's not true. God can't overlook the sin out of love Because God isn't just loving, he's also holy. He's righteous and he's perfect, right? And if his uh, his character is righteous and God promised, if you do this, it's going to lead to death. If he forgets the sin, then he makes himself a liar to love his creation. God will not ever defile his character. God is loving, but he's still just. So the fall doesn't just affect Adam and Eve, it affected all of mankind after them as well, even you and I. Ephesians says that we became dead in our trespasses and sin, lost because of the sin that happened that started all the way back at this fall without hope of being saved or fixed on our own. Things were really, really bad. A perfect creation was now broken. Humanity became undone by sin and the darkness of the sin spread immediately to all things afterwards then we get the next ark, redemption. Immediately after Adam and Eve sinned against God, even in their rebellion, God came looking for them and gave them a promise. Notice this. How do you react when someone sins against you? He moves in love towards them. And he says, I'm going to send one that will crush the serpent's head. 
that will crush evil and sin and brokenness one day. God, though humanity was broken and lost, promised to send a savior, one who would come and put all the things back together that sin had broken long, long ago. One that would make a way to restore our relationship with God and the union of God that we are created to live in. This one who is coming, who would be our savior, would fix that. He would redeem us, and this redeemer is Jesus, God the Son. He was promised to one day make a way for salvation. How broke are things? Real, real broke. And God says, but I'll make a way even in that. I'll make a way even in that for salvation, redemption to come. So the entire Old Testament is pointing towards this promised Christ who would one day come. If you begin to look through the prophets and all the things happening, you're like, what is happening? It's all a thread that points towards Jesus, the greater Adam who would come and live out the holiness that you and I fail to. And he'd also pay the price for the sin that that you and I have carried out on our own. This is where the idea of the good news of the gospel message comes. We talked about that last week. God could have left us without hope, but instead he comes to save us in the form of Jesus the Son. The last narrative arc is reconciliation. One day God promises he's going to end this. We look around, I think that our hearts are just really keenly aware of the brokenness. We can be saved and have a promise of redemption, but things can really still be broken. One day Christ will come back and fix all things. He will restore all things. We won't just have salvation. We'll then live in the perfect and restored kingdom of God. In the biblical terms, it's as if Eden will be put back together and all the things before brokenness will be like they were before and Jesus will reign death and sin and shame and, and pandemics and injustices and all the things that we feel, they will be gone. It's like they will be untrue as Christ will wipe away every tear and the brokenness that we feel will be a distant memory for all of eternity. This is the the narrative that the Bible gives us. Creation, fall, redemption, reconciliation. So the question, why are we spending time talking through the storyline of the Bible in order to get to gospel community? why, Why are we doing that? Well, the answer is actually inside the question We value gospel community DNA because we see that aspect of community all over the biblical narrative. More specifically, when God speaks uh, uh, to mankind about redemption, remember after the the promise of redemption, when God speaks about redemption, he doesn't do it in terms of saving random, disconnected, individualized people. That's not in the word. His promise isn't to save certain people by themselves who stay alone on an island by themselves for themselves. Instead, the promise of God is that he is going to save a people, a family, a nation, a community. We can look at that at, at scripture to make sure that we're grounded well. Genesis 12, one through three. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from the country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make of you a great nation. Not, not one man, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This text is a cornerstone of Old Testament theology and the covenants of God. A covenant, if you remember even back from DeMarcus's message a couple months ago, is, is an agreement or, or kind of a contract between two groups of people. God's major covenant with the people in the Old Testament is found in this text. But notice what it says. If you go from your country to where I show you, Abraham, I will make you a great nation. 
I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And by your family, I will bless the nations of the earth. What God was setting forth was a line that would lead to Jesus. Abram listening to God and obeying God and following God would lead to great blessing because Abram's family line, if he would follow God, would lead all the way to the birth of Christ. The one who would come to be the blessing of the nations, it's all pointing towards Jesus. Follow me and through your line, I'll bring Jesus. You ever open the book of Matthew and be like, why is there all these names? It's a genealogy proving that God wasn't lying, going all the way from Abraham to Jesus and showing the whole Old Testament, all the stuff, the stuff that you're like, I don't know what's happening here. Matthew's opening going, all of that was the weaving of the story that gets all the way to Jesus now, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years later. What we need to understand is God's covenant wasn't about individuals, though. He says, I'll make of you a great nation. In the Old Testament, this, this nation or this people was called Israel. God's covenant promise was, was never to save, again, individual people by themselves on an island. His promise was to save people individually to bring them into the chosen people of God, a, a community. Deuteronomy 7.6 is probably one of the best examples of this. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. When God steps in as Egypt is crushing Israel, the text declares that God has chosen a people, a community. Why? For for his own possession. He has chosen even the face of rebellion to restore not persons, but a people unto himself. I'm going to make a holy people. Again, God's redemption is spoken of from the context of a group, a nation, a community, a church, that he will reach into history and restore unto himself. This is hard and heavy in our Western individualized society, but God says, I'm saving a, a, a people. God initially created to invite humanity into a triune community. This is to bring a new community into the community of the Godhead. God's plan, even after the fall, was still the same. Even after humanity's sin was always uh, to, to restore a people, a community unto himself. I'm driving hard on the same point, hoping that it lands. We have to escape maybe even some of the things that we grew up in. God didn't make a plan to save random people so they wouldn't go to hell by themselves. This is not the storyline of the word. He made a plan to save people individually, but as they are saved individually, they, they turn into his community. God, through the work of Christ, is creating a new holy people for himself. Now, as we transition into the New Testament from the Old Testament, we see the metaphor of people, of of nation, of Israel turn into body, right? In in membership classes, we we go through this body, family, church, and maybe most notably, the metaphor turns into in the bride of Christ. This transition in language is, is notable and it's important to us because it demonstrated that God's people that he was saving wasn't just an ethnic group or a geographic people anymore. If you're not Jewish of descent, some of the best news in the Bible comes right in that for you. Because the audacity of the New Testament is Jesus didn't just come to save a Jewish people. He came to save Jew and Gentile, all that would have faith in him. He came to graft into the vine, into his family, 
people who were not of Israel. Anyone can be saved whose faith is in Christ. This means the community of God would be made up of all kinds of people. This is what the Bible talks about, all tribes, all tongues, all nations united through Christ back to the, to the Father. A people, wide and diverse, brought only one way in by Jesus. Now, why have we done all of this work to show God's plan was about a people or a community? Why are we working so hard to, to, to battle against private or individualized or separate faith? And the answer is because we want to be obedient to his story. We need to think in terms of story. This is God's story that we exist in. The Bible is in our story. We want to be obedient to his story. Submission to God looks like then laying down your story in some ways to live inside of his. God's story is that he's rescuing a people and not you alone. That's his story. His grace isn't for the I and the me. It's spoken of in terms of the us and the we together. See the one another's all over the body, the, 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 the foundation, the, the church, all of those are in terms of, of we. God saves you and brings you into his family. That is your identity in Christ. No longer a slave, no longer an alien, no longer an orphan in your sin. You're a child of God who now lives in the kingdom of God as a part of the family and community of God. This is who you now are. And this family and community isn't metaphorical, it's actually real. It's, it's the people who walk amongst you and walk out faith alongside of you. This is why gospel community is a part of our DNA. We want to walk out God's plan over us. We want to submit. We want lives uh, that, of people who live as a people now here in the church. Now, this idea may sound really radical or weird or out there in light of modern individualistic culture, and that's because our world has adopted what is called a secular humanist worldview, which means our world, remember, we, we wove together before creation, fall, redemption, reconciliation. Uh, our world rejects this biblical worldview that is that narrative that God is creator and will redeem what is broken in sin through Jesus and that God plans, his plan leads to reconciliation, a fixed and restored kingdom that even if you die, you will one day be reconciled fully and the good news for you doesn't stop. This is our worldview. This is not the world's worldview. They say that God is not creator uh, and, and that the world isn't broken by sin. There was no fall. And that death doesn't lead to reconciliation for, for those who are faith in Christ. So humanity, uh, because they do not fall into the worldview of the Bible or the storyline of the Bible, what do they do? They make their own story. Since there is no meaning in the world as a whole or for, pe or for people, the secular humanist then says, well, it's your job to make meaning. There is no, there's no creation. There's no fall that you're trying to get saved. There's no sin boogeyman, and there's nothing out of death. So go do your thing. Make meaning. Decide what you're here for. The secular humanist mindset says, why don't you sit in the, in the creator's chair? Why don't, you, why don't you, you probably make a better story. Why don't you sit there and you define the terms and you define what is true and you set the stage. This is creation like at the tree in the garden saying, God, I reject you because I think I could do better on my own for my own story. I just really like to create my, my own truth, my own story, my own narrative. But here's what we have to understand, church. We are not secular humanists. We're sons and daughters. We're inside the story of God. This is what faith looks like. And in the context of our lives, it's going, I'm in your story, God, over and over and over again. 
Sons and daughters who say that you've created a better story, you've provided a better savior, you offer a more compelling and beautiful and complete plan than I ever could. So I not only believe in you for the problem of my sin, I also want to walk in your story. This is part of what makes a believer a follower of Christ. Are you following me? Jesus, I'll follow you into my story. No, no, I'll follow you into my story. Christ's story, his way, his plan. I I, I worry sometimes that we forget that we have a king. The king sets the terms. We live in his kingdom. It's a good kingdom. It's a good reign and a good rule, and he's merciful, and he's kind, and he's slow to anger. He's still in charge. It's his kingdom, though. Say that as humbly as we can in our hearts to understand it's okay to be under his submission. Why? Because he's kind. He's proved himself. This is also, honestly, why COVID has just been so difficult for us as a church and for many others. Because it's difficult to tell who's still scared of getting the virus and who started to use the virus as a convenient excuse to not need to be in community anymore. What's really hard about that? is it vacillates and it changes. And so it's so difficult to call people back into the story, come walk again, come walk again in the community of God, not knowing kind of where they stand or some people are actually scared. And some people are just really happy that I can just kind of do my own thing now. And the hope for us is that whenever we fall into that, when we fall into walking out our own story over God's, that even the, the point of this message that our community around us will call us back in, we'll hear and we'll repent. Come back into the story. Come back into following Christ as his bride, as a part of the story that he's called you into. Now, there's more to uh, living in community than just submission to God's story. As I wrote this sermon, this probably should have been a three-parter, but we're, we're going we're gonna to make it one. But some of God's most beautiful handiwork, hear me, some of his deepest transformation comes not when you walk alone, but when you walk amongst the community of others. Let me state that in negative terms as well. Some of our worst moments happen when we're alone, when we're isolated, when we're by ourselves. Let's just look at the Bible as as just kind of a proof case for this. Jonah. When he was alone, what did he do? Rebelled against God. Ran the other way. Had a super weird way of watching experience from the inside ends up pouting and cursing a tree because God wouldn't kill other people when he gave them grace and mercy. This is what the heart does alone. It goes weird. King David, in, in the moment that he was alone, he was supposed to be at war with his brothers and, and, and doing his kingly duties. And he goes, no, 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 I'll, just, I'll, just, I'll chill solo. You guys do your thing. I'm going to hang by myself. I got it. I'm good. What, what happened? Lust, adultery, lies, murder, cover-up, generational sin. King David, man after the heart of God, did not do well alone. New Testament, Peter, the rock of the church. A couple hours after Jesus is arrested and the disciples go their own way and Peter, the, if everyone turns on you, I won't, Jesus, when he's alone, what does he do? I don't know that dude. I don't know him. Get away from me. I don't know him. When he's alone, a couple hours later, immediately he rejects Jesus. We don't do well alone. I'll take it further. You will not find one example of strength, obedience, and health in the Bible from a person who's isolated and alone. I challenge you to find it. Just examples of sin and failure. 
just if we would if we would step back from heavy statements like that and just kind of look at our past, man, I feel that one. My heart's gone really, really to bad places when I'm alone. Right? These are not meant to be zingers or painful blows. They're counsel from the word. You're meant to exist in community. When we get out on our own, things can tend to go really, really wrong. But this out on our own doesn't just mean not present, right? The, the way to not be with the community is to physically just not show up. But here's the other side. We cannot be a part of community by showing up physically, but never putting our soul and our mind into the equation. When we do not be a part of community physically and in body and in spirit as well, things go wrong because what we do is we create this vacuum that the gospel cannot get into and things get unhealthy really fast when you do that. Our hearts need each other to walk out the gospel with. We need the family. We need the bride of Christ to walk with. On the flip side of things going dark when we're alone, when we are with the body of Christ, and there's people around you to share the gospel with you when you're struggling. You can have other people who can help you connect the dots to apply the gospel into places that you just, you didn't even know how to before. There are people who can defend you from your blind spots and the things that you don't see. People who can love you with the love of Christ when you, when you feel unlovable and distant and cold. There are people who can call you to repent when the sins creep back in. There are people who defend you when you need defending, correct you when you need correcting, love you when you need love, right? And they can share your hurts and your sufferings. Can they make them go away? No, our church has gone wrong there before. We've let it stand where people have believed community will take my suffering away. They will not. But they can be with you in the middle of it, just like Jesus can. We have to be really, really clear because in the middle of our story, we've gone a little sideways in that before. And the beauty of community as well is when you begin to zone out, when the, when the old man, the sin, begins to take back over and your heart just closes back down, thinking with the love of Jesus, say, come back, brother. Come back, sister. I see these things in your heart. Come back. Community is also the construct that God uses to mature us in Christ with. It is the people that you see the most who will know you the best. Right? You, you know that's true. So real community, ones that you know and are known by, is the community that can show you your leanings. We understand that we need to be shown what we lean towards. They can speak into you when you begin to do things like rebel. When you walk in anger, bitterness, resentfulness, when you walk in a victim mentality that covers all things, they can go, hey man, I see this. This worries me for you. Can, can, I, can, we, can we apply the gospel to that? Here's the other thing. Some of you are the hardest people on you. You have a hard time accepting that Jesus really loves you, so your community can be the ones who go, will you, take the, will, you, will you take the communion? Will you take the bread and the cup and remember the finished work of Jesus over you? You're loved. You're a son and daughter. Jesus can't love you any more than he does now. It's community that does that. What you may find is the community around you speaking the gospel over you tends to be more powerful at times than you speaking the gospel to your own heart. Right? Have you ever had that when you're just trying to tell yourself something and then somebody else says it like the most basic and like not nuanced or not beautiful way at all. And there's like, here's the gospel. And you're like, oh my gosh. This, this is what community can do. This is the power of community and the grace given when we walk not alone, but we walk together in community, like truly together, rejecting individual lives and sharing with each other.
Now, we're not trying to institute like communes and Kool-Aid, but lives together, not only seeking your will and your time and your purpose, knowing and being known and worshiping and seeing the gospel together in regular patterns. That's what community is. We talk about the beauty of God's work in community. This is one that we can't flesh out fully, but go read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 this week. The Bible talks about spiritual gifts, gifts from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit literally gives them to the body in order to build up the body. These gifts, some of them scare you, some of them maybe not. What are these gifts? Apostleship, prophecy, the gift of teaching. That's what I'm doing now. Evangelism, <laughs> exhortation. The gift of encouragement. Do you know that that is a gift? That's probably one of the mightiest gifts we can see right now in our toxic culture. Encouragement. The gift of discerning spirits. The gift of speaking in tongues. What other gifts? Gifts of leadership. Gifts of help. Gifts of mercy. Gifts of giving. Gifts of faith, healing, miracles. These are gifts that the Bible says are given to the body, the actual community by the Holy Spirit to build up that community. They're meant to be used in our lives and our faith and they build us up, they edify the body and they make much of Jesus. What I'm coming to understand is there's literally no basis for these to exist if there's no community. Right? The, the gifts are not meant to be just used in, in, in just this building or while you're solo by yourself. The, the gifts are used in the body when we are together in homes as well and we're doing things together. The, the gifts are seen there. We are built up and Jesus is made much of. What are the gifts for if we're not walking in community? We probably need some retraining in that, the edification of the body. So for us, real gospel community is living out God's story over our body to the best that we can, realizing that we've been saved and then brought together. So we just aim to walk in that to the best that we know how. Community is where we experience faith. It's where we grow. It's where we mature. It's where we became what Jesus or where we become what Jesus told us to be, disciples. In our culture, we have to understand God didn't, God didn't ask us to be attenders, cultural Christians, or ones that accept and name Christianity. He said, be my disciples. You can't be that alone. Discipleship doesn't just happen on Sunday. It happens with other believers. Community is what protects our hearts and our sinful desires. It's what presses the gospel deeper into our hearts. It's where the Holy Spirit does its work inside of the body, and at a base level, community is a beautiful gift to have. So we desire to have community and not just have it be an afterthought, but to fight for it and pursue it and work towards it together. The greatest picture of this is our missional communities or some of our DNA groups. That's where this gospel community thing really gets walked out the most. I love the Sunday gathering. We cannot be all that we're called to be here alone though. Right? We're striving to embody what the church was born to be I heard someone say it really, really well. In sports, in baseball, there's practice and then there's games. For a long time, we thought this is the game, this is the show. No, this is practice. 
We come here to practice, and then amongst community, it's where we grow and we're discipled and we become what Jesus wants to be, and that's when we are sent out after that. We need to recenter the Sunday gathering. It's a beautiful thing. It's where we practice and learn who we are. The, the depth of community and, and mission happen elsewhere, though. Acts 2, 42 through 47, we'll begin to try and land the plane. So it's just a beautiful picture of community. And we just have to be honest. There's times I think our heart asks, is this possible? Can this happen? It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayer, and all came upon every soul. And hear that. Our hearts yearn for that. This awe of God. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, where they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added their number day by day, those who were being saved. And what a beautiful example. Together in the temple, the gathering, together in the homes. This is why we value meals together, time together, worship together. This is why we want to prioritize missional communities and, and, and DNAs where we open the word to dive in and beg the spirit to come and do the deep work in our hearts. It's also why we ask our members to be a part of community. Because community is not our plan to make a huge or great church, right? We're not dumb. Look around. We're not, we, there's not 800 people here. But it is our plan to bear fruit to be obedient, and to see beauty and joy in our lives walked out by this gospel that's actually good. Is community easy? There's times that we've over-romanticized it. No. No, it's not. Why? Because I'm in it, and so are you. We're messy. The beauty of redemption is there's a Savior, and if our faith is in Jesus, he's promised that he has paid the bill, that we are clean, but we still struggle. We are needy, we are selfish, we're absent, we're super weird sometimes. But with those people, when we walk together and follow Jesus, going, we don't have all things in common, but we have this in common, let's go. That's where we're transformed. It's where joy comes in our heart, our, our Savior has brought us together. We're not alone. We have a family. We have a savior. We have a kingdom. It's not easy. It is pretty beautiful though. My hope is that if you've been in community, really that your heart would just be revived. Really that you would start seeing deeper fruit and that health and joy that you begin to see the ways that you're growing, that maybe the people around you and your relationship with them, that you dig deeper into this discipleship thing that you've ever had. If you've been doing that, man, I was so encouraged by that. The beauty of the last kind of year and a half is there'd be an off-ramp that would be so easy for so many of you. And, and several of you just gone the other way, going, oh, I need community more. Man, praise God for that. There's been some beautiful things that I think have happened through that. That's amazing. Here's the other side. If you're not a part of community, if you've been walking alone, if it's just kind of you and, and Jesus, here, here's my thing. No, no shame, just jump in. Maybe you didn't know. You can't walk alone and follow Jesus. Will you roll with us and maybe we'll see some of this Acts 2 stuff happen and see this all come over us and we share meals and find joy and see Jesus begin to do a mighty work in a divided, divided world. 
In our age, people value amenities and autonomy. We want to value the gospel, community, and mission. It's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. If you're in a mission community, you know. What do we do with the kids? Man, I don't know. But it's where we grow. It's where we're formed. Deep, beautiful work in your heart happens when you're not alone. I hope that we would see that. Man, you guys can come back up. We're going to take communion today. Understand even the basis of communion is not for you alone. The body comes and gathers. The body remembers what Jesus has done. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. That you is communal. As we take together, we are proclaiming to our own hearts. And here's the beauty. You're proclaiming to the people around you. It's still true. There's still a sacrifice. His body and blood, it stands over me and it stands over you. So we come corporately to the table. Yeah, COVID's done some weird things. We've got to take the cups, but we're meant to together remember. And I hope that your heart is starting to remembering Jesus is beautiful and good. Yeah, we've had a hard, crazy, almost two years. Sacrifice is still there, and he's still bearing fruit in community. And I pray that you'll find joy in that. I hope that you'll find just a deeper spot for the gospel of your heart, in your heart amongst the people around you. Will you stand with me? God, we ask for your help. Will you help us to walk more and more as a part of your community, as your people, Lord? We need you. We ask that you would work. I pray that you help us, Lord. We just freely admit community's hard, and sometimes we feel like it, and sometimes we don't. I pray that you walk us deeper into it, though. In the moments that are hard, I pray that we see its submission to your story. The grid of community is no longer whether we think it's fun. It's honoring you. I pray that we'd see that, and even as we do that, that you would do deep work in us. Draw us close. I pray that we would learn to use and walk in the gospel message better together. And you produce fruit in us, Lord. In a world that's divided, Lord, I pray that you let us value community more. Jesus, thank you for your mercy. It is only your gift and your salvation that even allows us to be together. So we thank you for your mercy and kindness. Remind us of how good you are today. Amen.